0: I'm ready to go. How about you? New Hope Radio, the Hope Club Podcast. We are ready to go. And I'll tell you what, I've got a good topic today. Because we're going to talk about an end that didn't have to be. Sad story? Sounds like it. We're looking at the life of David. And we saw, it was a sad time in his life. He wavered in his faith, slipped back into the world, the world of the Philistines, the enemies of Israel. That's no good. And we noted the steps that a person takes in order to fall back, fall away. It begins with number one, letting down your guard. Oh, yeah. Sometimes the place of your strength, when you let down your guard, becomes the place of your failure. Secondly, you begin to think differently from what put you on top. See, when things are good, when you're doing well because you're thinking right, when you change your thinking, you know what? You're not going to do that well. And then when things aren't going well, you know what you do? Number three... You look for an easy way out. Not just a way out, but an easy way out. And then when you find that easy way, you settle down back into the world. Man, that's not the place you want to be. Back in the world. And that's exactly what happened to David. And you know what the result of it? When he started living back in the land of the Philistines, you know what the result was for him? No longer praying. No longer singing God's songs. No longer serving God. Wasn't writing any Psalms anymore. So when you do that, here's what it costs, because this is what it cost David. It costs your identity. You don't know who you are anymore. It costs your acceptance, because the Philistines didn't want David around. And yet, the Israelites didn't want David around. They were after him. So he wasn't accepted anywhere. Cost him his loved ones. Remember, Ziklag was attacked. Families were carried away because David was in the wrong place. He was with the Philistines. And then you lose the trust of others. And David's men, his his army, right? They were so upset, they wanted to kill him. They wanted to stone David. Because their families were gone. So, like I've been saying, our lives can parallel David's life, like two railroad tracks. And if this happens to you, here's the good news though. You don't have to stay there. Let's say you've gone through all those steps and you've fallen away and you've lost everything. You don't have to stay there. You know what you do? You strengthen yourself in the Lord. And that's exactly what the Bible says David did, First Samuel chapter 30, verse 6. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And remember, last time we said, hey, it doesn't say David strengthened himself in the Lord God. No, in the Lord his God. God still remained personal. He still knew that he belonged to God. Even though he made a series of bad decisions... It cost him a lot. He belonged to God. And we need to remember that. That if you're God's child through faith in Christ, that'll never change. You always belong to him. And that's why you can strengthen yourself in him. Well, that's David's story. We now turn our attention to King Saul. And here's where we're going to see an end (laughs) that didn't have to be. It really didn't, but it did. See, because Saul, he also fell into carnality. The difference between Saul and David was, David didn't stay there, Uh uh-oh, but Saul did. See, when David entered, entered into carnality, because he strengthened himself in the Lord his God, he got out of it. But Saul, nope, he stayed there. You could say that Saul's life was a life that didn't have to be. He lived a life and suffered a fate that was more of God's mm, permissive will than God's perfect will. Saul wasn't in the perfect will of God, but he was in, I guess, the allowable will of God because we all have freedom to make our own choices. Saul even said about himself, I have played the fool. And I've committed a serious error. He said that. That's his self-commentary. First Samuel twenty-six twenty-one. Now, what does it mean to play the fool? Do you ever do that? I'm going to use what J. Sidlow Baxter said. He was a, a theologian in the 1600s. I used to go to hear him preach all the time. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> but he made these remarks concerning playing the fool. And here's what he said. A man plays the fool when he goes on enterprises for God before God sends him. Hmm. A man plays the fool when when he disobeys God even in seemingly small matters. Wow. Remember when Jesus said, if you're faithful in the little things, you'll be faithful in the big things, but if you're not faithful in the little things, you won't be in the big things. So you play the fool when you disobey God, even in the small things. Thirdly, when he tries to cover up disobedience to God with religious excuses. Oh, yeah. Fourthly, he plays the fool when he tries to persuade himself that he's doing the will of God, when in his heart, he knows he's not. That's the fool. When he allows some jealousy or hatred to master and enslave him. That's playing the fool. And when he knowingly fights against God to save his own face. Oh, yeah. That's playing the fool. When he turns from God and and seeks an alternative. Hmm. And that's exactly what Saul did. See, Saul did these things. He went to a witch for guidance. He wanted the witch to bring up Samuel that had died. And he wanted Samuel to guide him, Samuel the prophet. But wait, you don't go to a witch. You don't go to a psychic. A card reader, palm reader. You don't do those things. And as Christians, you're flirting with darkness when you do. Don't ever do that. That's the dark side. In 1 Samuel 31, Saul's final step in carnality death. Now here's the end that didn't have to be. for Samuel 31, verse 1. Now the Philistines were fighting against Israel. And the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and they fell slain on Mount Gilboa. They are all dying off. And the Philistines overtook Saul and his sons. And the Philistines killed. What? Jonathan, and Abinadab, and Malki, Shua, the sons of Saul. Saul's three sons were killed in battle. David's best friend, Jonathan. Verse 3, the battle went heavily against Saul, and the archers hit him, and he was badly wounded by the archers. And then Saul said to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and pierce me through with it. He wanted his armor bearer to finish him off. Otherwise, these uncircumcised Philistines, they'll come and they'll pierce me through and they'll make sport of me. But the armor bearer, he wouldn't do it. He was afraid. He wasn't going to kill the king of Israel. Even though he was wounded, he afraid. So you know what Saul did? He took his own sword and fell on it. Saul killed himself. And when his armor-bearer saw, verse 5, that Saul was dead, he also fell on his sword and died with him. Wow. Verse 6, thus Saul died with his three sons, his armor-bearer, and all of his men on that day together. Man, this is a pathetic sight for the king of Israel. Saul did not go down in dignity as a king. He did not go down in nobility as a king. He didn't go down as a hero, as a king. Why? He had an ending that didn't have to be because of his carnality. Carnality is nobody's friend, let me tell you. If you're a Christian, if you're a child of God, I don't know if Saul was saved or not. I don't know. But he was still acting carnal. So verse 7, just when you think things couldn't get worse, you know what happened? When well, the men of Israel who were on the other side of the valley with those who were beyond the Jordan, they saw that the men of Israel had fled, that Saul and his sons were dead. And you know what the other soldiers did? They abandoned the cities. They left their homes. They all ran away. And the Philistines came and lived in them. Everybody ran. See, Saul affected the whole army. It affected all the cities, all the citizens. They all ran for their lives. They left their homes. They left their farms, their wells, their vineyards, their furnishings. They left everything. And they left it to the Philistines. In verse 8, It came about on the next day when the Philistines came to strip the slain that they found Saul and they found his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. And now we have the final end of King Saul. You know what they did to him in verse 9? They cut off his head and they stripped off his weapons and they sent them throughout the land of the Philistines to carry Oh, the good news to the house of their idols and to the people. See, they cut off his head, which was a very undignified thing to do. And they took his weapons and sent them throughout the land so everybody could see King Saul of Israel was dead. He was no longer a threat to the Philistines. In verse 10, they put his weapons in the temple of Ashtaroth and they fastened his body to the wall of Bethshan. This is horrible. This is a tragic scene. Saul's headless body hanging on a wall. His head somewhere else on a wagon going throughout the land. And you know what the even greatest tragedy is? It's an end that didn't have to be. See, Saul didn't have to die that way. That didn't have to happen. But Saul was on a downward slide. And he didn't bother to slow down or change the direction of his slide. How is it that King Saul got to this place in life? How did he get to a point where he lost his battle? He lost their homes. He lost his dignity. He lost his head. He lost his sons. You know how we got to that place? You might not like this answer. He chose it. Just like sometimes we get to the place that we don't like, we chose it. And sometimes we have to ask ourselves, what did I do to get here? Oftentimes, the first thing we do is blame someone for where we are instead of trying to figure out, well, what did I do to get here, to get to this place? Saul chose it. The end of Saul's life was a series of decisions that Saul made, and all of these decisions were really against God. You know, compromise... Is a bad decision. You know what compromise does? It grows. You compromise a little today, and then the next day you compromise mm, a little bit more, and a little bit more, and a little bit more. See, Saul compromised his faith so much that he got to the point where he sought out a witch for guidance. Wow. He lived in the light of disobedience. You can be disobedient so long, it looks like obedience. (laughs) Talk about self-deception. How great is that darkness when you think it's light? That's why Jesus said in Matthew 6, 23, If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? We can actually get used to living in the darkness. You can get used to living in carnality. You get used to it. And how do you get used to it? your conscience becomes seared. See, when you're walking with Christ, your conscience is very sensitive. You wouldn't steal a paper clip. But when you're carnal and you're in darkness, you'll take the whole ream of paper. You don't care. You, you, you'll take even, and it won't even bother you. That we justify our disobedience when we're in darkness. Do you ever do that? Did you ever do something that was wrong, but you justified it? Because blah, 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 blah. And that's what we do because we're carnal. We're away from God. See, the carnal path always leads to destruction. Not sometimes, always. So the only thing, the only way to avoid destruction is to get off the carnal path. Because if you stay on it, it's going to be destruction. And Jesus said, you know, many people are going that way. It's wide and it's broad. That path, and it leads to destruction. That's where it's going. And you will have an end that you didn't have to have. How many people's lives end in a way they don't have to? They end because they're drunk driving. Didn't have to. They end because they overdosed. Didn't have to. They end because they did foolish things. They didn't have to. Hey, I've done foolish things. And it's the grace of God I'm alive today. Oh yeah, it's the grace of God. My life could have ended many times. And it's God's grace that's kept me here. So nobody's judging anybody, believe me. But what we're saying is, there's a carnal path that we walk. And it will lead to a dead end. So we need to recognize it and get off it as quick as we can. See, carnality, it begins as a thought. And then it progresses to an action. So if we can arrest it at the thought process and change it, then we'll do okay. Don't let the thought become an action. F.B. Meyer, Christian commentator, rather poetic in his writings, he said, this is the bitterest of all, to know that suffering need not have been. You know, I call that regret, right? Regret is something that we feel because something happened that didn't have to happen. You know, oh, I didn't lock the back door and my house was robbed. Regret, because I could have locked the back door and it wouldn't happen. Things like that. So he says, this is the bitterest of all, to know that suffering need not have been, that it has resulted from indiscretion and inconsistency, that it is the harvest of one's own sowing. That the vulture, which feeds on the vitals, vitals are organs on the inside, is a nestling of one's own rearing. Ah, me, he said. This is pain. It's true. It's true. You know, there's a scene in Matthew 7, which I believe doesn't have to be. And it's in verse 22. And Jesus said it. He said, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons? And in your name perform, oh, many miracles? And then Jesus said, Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Lawlessness. What's he saying? He's saying, if you would have gotten saved, then the things you've done would have been acceptable. But you never had a walk with me. You never had a relationship with me. And maybe you went out and did good things, but it wasn't with me. I don't know you, the part. That doesn't have to be. Anybody that goes to hell doesn't have to be. Why? Because Christ died for the sins of the world. Whosoever believes may be saved. Hell is an end that doesn't have to be. Now, I want to give you an analogy between Christ's death and Saul's death. And you might think, How can there possibly be, possibly be an analogy between the death of Christ and the death of Saul? Well, let me see what we can do here. Number one, Saul's death appeared to be the end of all national hope. See, when Saul died, people figured, well, that's the end of Israel. When Christ died, people figured, well, that's the end of the kingdom. Right? The disciples, they went back fishing. They gave it up. They thought it was over. The disciples on the road to Emmaus, they were all disheartened. They were just going home. Secondly, it seemed as if the adversary had won. Because the Philistines displayed the head of Saul in triumph, right? They were bragging. They held up his head. They held up his body. We won. Well, the Romans displayed the body of Jesus on a cross. And the devil thought he won. Huh. Thirdly, Saul's death made a way for the kingly line of David. Because David was anointed the next king and a new king arose. Christ's death made a way for the kingly line of believers. That's us. We have now been made kings, royal priesthood, the bride of Christ, but it was through the death of Christ. Jesus had to die to make a way. Fourthly, Saul's death introduced David as king. Christ's death introduced the church. Huh. We have the church today because Jesus died and rose and ascended into heaven. And he sent the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit indwells every believer and the church is formed. Number five. Saul's death ended an era of dissatisfaction and failure. Christ's death ended an era of law and guilt introducing the age of grace. You see? So there are some similarities. Number six, Saul's death displayed the foolishness of men. Christ's death displayed the foolishness of God. It's a human thinking, that is, right? Because Paul said, the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Oh, but to us who are being saved. It's the power of God. Right? So isn't that interesting? Interesting. The foolishness foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of men. Oh, it certainly is. So let's make an application. What lessons can we learn from the life of Saul? We can learn the dangers of carnality so our lives won't result in an end that didn't have to be. We can learn that carnality begins in the mind with a thought. And you have to recognize that thought and arrest it. What did Paul say? Bring every thought into captivity, right? Don't let your thoughts run wild like wild horses that can't be tamed. We need to control our thought life. We can't control our emotions, But we can control our thought life. We can do that. And we have a responsibility. You know why? Because our thought life will determine our actions. And our actions will determine our outcomes. And the outcomes that we're living in today are because of the actions that got us there. And they receive their marching orders from our thought life. So the battle's in the mind. That's that's the battleground. And we have to fight the spiritual battles in the mind, not in the body, in the mind. Okay? And if you win that battle, oh, you'll be on the road that leads to life. But if you lose that battle, you'll be on the road that leads to destruction. Now, none of our lives are going to, not all of us are going to have a storybook ending to our life. Some of our lives will end suddenly. Some will end in tragedy. Some will go out gracefully. That's not the issue today. Today the issue is, where am I, where am I with God at that moment? That's the issue. Where are you in your walk with the Lord? That's the most important thing. Doesn't matter where we are when we die, how we die, but where are you with Christ? Saul was so apart from God, and David, he bounced back. He came back. And, you know, if you read David's life, man, he was he was no poster child for righteousness. That's for sure. He wasn't. But he was a man after God's own heart. And that's what we're going to see next time. That David had a heart after God. And that means that he always went back to God. Even after failure, go back to God. Your sins are forgiven. Go back to God. It's okay. Because Christ shed his blood for our sins, we can go back to God. So don't let mistakes and failures keep you from God. They're all atoned for. They're all forgiven. Just go back. Go back to receive his mercy and his grace. Remembering, you're his child. David called God his God. And so is he yours. He's your God. You're his child. Hey, this Sunday at New Hope, August 28th, we're going to talk about Why do we speak of Christ? Why do we? Why do we tell other people about Christ? We've got about eight reasons why. I think it's very motivating, very inspirational. You can find us at 10 o'clock on Wood 6 and Swansea Mass. Catch us online, newhopecc.tv, YouTube, or Facebook. We'll be there. And don't forget about the Hope Club Podcast, where you can catch these messages on demand.